On Saturday morning, God started moving a different direction, and uh, I told you that last Sunday if you were here, and so that message uh, preached last Sunday was actually something that developed within less than 24 hours last weekend. And this, this morning's message is the one that I started finishing on Friday morning, but with these things happening, uh, it just kind of changed the context of it. I was going to preach on perspective last Sunday, but it was just time to preach something else, so I'm preaching on perspective this morning. Because uh, we need to get a different perspective in our country. We used to have a perspective. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But we need a different perspective because we're asking the wrong questions. We're looking at things the wrong way. And then this week, I mean, the craziness this week, you know, about marriage and chicken and Muppets and Oreos. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you snickering and you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's been crazy, hasn't it? And, and it's not just the world that needs a new perspective. It's not just our country that needs a new perspective because we used to have this perspective, but it's not just our country, but it's us. I mean, we're, we're arguing, and some of the stuff I'm hearing, come on, I, I, I hate to say it. Now, listen, I haven't, I haven't seen any. If y'all post anything on Facebook, I haven't seen it, okay? I hadn't read it, okay? Uh, sometimes when we get into these kinds of things, I just stay away from Facebook because I don't want to read some of the dumb stuff y'all say. Come on, somebody say Amen. And, and I mean, but there's been some dumb stuff said by Christians this week about marriage and chicken and Muppets and Oreos. And there's been some dumb stuff said about this shooting. I mean, we need a new perspective. So God, help us get that perspective. Help us today. Turn our attention back where it needs to be. Would you pray with me? Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for the privilege, God, of sharing this word. God, I feel like a missionary this morning with a message to a people who are living in a land that does not know you. They don't know who you are. They don't understand your word. They don't even know your word. They've confused your word, God. And they have no mind about them of, of following after you. God, I thank you for the privilege of sharing this word today. It's an awesome, awesome privilege, God. And I ask you, God, please challenge us, help us, God, to renew our perspective in Jesus' name. And everybody said Amen. Okay, so whose perspective do we need? Societies? Well, let's see what Psalm says about that, chapter 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. <laughs> now, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. And this word fool in the Hebrew doesn't mean what you think, because when you say fool, you, you mean somebody that's stupid or silly or whatever. The word fool in the Hebrew means someone who is morally deficient. Okay, someone who has no morals. So it's not someone who doesn't know any better. It's someone who has no morals. And a lot of times that's what we do, don't we? Because we don't have morals and we want to live our own way. What do we do? We say, well, there is no God. Because that's the only way, you know, that's the only way you can kind of sleep at night is to say, I'm not going to have to pay for all this bad I did all day long because there is no God. So we don't need society's uh, perspective. So what about my, you need pastor's perspective, right? Everybody needs a pastor's perspective today, or, or maybe you've got the right perspective, right? Maybe, well, let's look, uh, verse 3 says, all have turned away. Who, who is all? Are you all? <laughs> I mean, I'm all. Are you all? Okay, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. So even my perspective isn't the right. 
Your perspective, I said in the early service, you know, this is, I wish I could preach this message to the whole country because this whole country needs to hear this message, okay? They, they all need to hear this message. I wish I could, but I'm, I'm not preaching to all them. I'm just preaching to us, so it's right here. Uh, you know, they need to hear this, but you know what? They don't need to hear my perspective. And you may think that you've got the message that this whole nation needs to hear, but they don't need your perspective. So it's not that perspective, not society's perspective. Who, whose perspective? Perhaps God's. I'll skip verse 2. Let's go back to it. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God, understand and seek God. I, I, I could preach right here about this message, right here for about 20 minutes, about this understanding and who seek God. God's looking for that. Here's the perspective we need. Because God's got a different perspective than me and you. You see, society, they're figuring out, they're doing all the stuff they want to do. They're figuring their own way out, and they don't have to line up with God, so they don't have the right perspective. You and I, we're living in a sin-cursed world. We've got sin, you know, temptations constantly come against us. Sometimes we fail, we mess up, and we're having to repent. So it's not our perspective, but God, who is looking down from heaven, he has a totally different perspective. Anybody ever gotten lost and used a map to find your way out? Why? Because where you're at, you can't see where you need to go. I, I don't recognize any of these surroundings. But you get a map, that's what? And you look down on the map, and from looking down at a different perspective, you can see where you are and where you need to get to, and you can see how to get there. And that's, what, that's the perspective God has. He's not living in all this junk that you and I are living in. He's not blinded by the trees and the buildings that he's not blinded by, but he is looking down, and he sees where we are, and he sees where we need to get to, and he sees how to get there. It is God's perspective that we need. Romans says, Paul said, everyone else is a liar. Only God is true. Everyone's a liar. You're a liar. That's what the word says. I didn't say that. Okay, you, God said, you're a, we're all liars. We all have areas of our life that we ain't got it figured out. And sometimes we say it and it's wrong. And sometimes we, uh, maybe we mislead people on purpose. Sometimes, sometimes we, we do it by accident or whatever. But if we contradict, if everybody in the world contradicts God's word, we're all liars and God's word is true. He is true. And so the perspective here needs to be not my way, not, this, not society's way, not this nation's way, but God's way. That is what we should always look toward. And you know what? This country used to have that. I think I'm going to blow some of your minds here in just a moment. Some of you young people, you know, 23 and a half years ago, we had a president. And listen, this is not a political statement. It's not about one man this is about where our nation was two and a half decades ago. I know for you, that's, man, that's an eternity because it's, some of you, it's, that's a lifetime. You know, 23 years ago is more than your lifetime. But I think I'm going to blow their mind. I want, you to, I, want, I want to remind some of you my age, maybe a little younger too, but definitely I want to remind you, we used to have the right perspective. This is not about a man. I want you to think about the place that our country was in. When the, this, this is a, a video montage of clips put together of Ronald Reagan when he was president by his home church. His home church put this together as, as a memorial to him. And I want you to just, I want you to, as you listen to this, think about, my goodness, where this country was two and a half decades ago. Someone asked me whether I was aware of all the people out there who were praying for the president. And I had to say, yes, I am. I felt it. I believe in intercessionary prayer. But I couldn't help but say to that questioner after, there's sometimes 
when he was praying, he got a busy signal. It was just me in there ahead of him. <laughs> I think I understand how Abraham Lincoln felt when he said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Now, I realize it's fashionable in some circles to believe that no one in government should encourage others to read the Bible. That we're, we're told that we'll violate the constitutional separation of church and state established by the Founding Fathers in the First Amendment. The First Amendment was not written to protect people and their laws from religious values. It was written to protect those values from government tyranny. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? No matter where we live, we have a promise that can make all the difference. A promise from Jesus to soothe our sorrows, heal our hearts, and drive away our fears. He promised there will never be a dark night that does not end. Our weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. He promised if our hearts are true, his love will be as sure as sunlight. And by dying for us, Jesus showed how far our love should be ready to go. All the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We all praise Americans yearn to explore life's deepest truths and to say their entertainment or their idea of entertainment is sex and violence and crime is an insult to their goodness and intelligence. We are people who believe love can triumph over hate, creativity over destruction, and hope over despair. And that's why so many millions hunger for God's good news. I've always believed that we were, each of us put here for a reason, that there, there is a plan, somehow a divine plan for all of us. I know now that whatever days are left to me belong to him. I also believe this blessed land was set apart in a very special way. Our forebears came not for gold, but mainly in search of God and the freedom to worship in their own way. We've been a free people living under the law with faith in our maker and in our future. I've said before that the most sublime picture in American history is of George Washington on his knees in the snow at Valley Forge. That image personifies a people who know that it's not enough to depend on our own courage and goodness. We must also seek help from God, our Father and Preserver. We'll never find every answer, solve every problem, or heal every wound. But we can do a lot if we walk together down that one path that we know provides real hope. The morality and values such faith implies are deeply embedded in our national character. Our country embraces those principles by design, and we abandon them at our peril. My experience in this office I hold has only deepened a belief I've held for many years. Within the covers of that single book are all the answers to all the problems 
that face us today if we'd only read and believe. That's the nation you didn't get a chance to grow up in. Not talking about a man. I had some political differences with Ronald Reagan. Not talking about a man. I'm talking about that's where this nation was two and a half decades ago. And here's the problem. Is you and I, my generation, we've forgotten that. And they don't even know it. If this is where we come in two and a half, generation, two and a half decades, then where are we going to be in two and a half more? We've got to return to some perspective in this country. And the perspective we need is God's. Nine days ago, this tragedy happened in Aurora, Colorado. Nine days ago. And, and the deceiver deceives us. Like, the deceiver has deceived this nation into believing, oh, we've got to separate church and state. That's not what that means, what, what you've been taught, what you've been taught. That's not what that means. The deceiver deceives us. He says, oh, that was a bad thing. Let me tell you, when I got up Friday a week ago to finish that sermon, I started hearing these stories about this, and I started hearing this, and I got, I got some attitude in my heart about James Holmes before I even knew his name. That he walked in and he started shooting some point blank, picking some out. I mean, some, some he knew the age that he was shooting because he was shooting at point blank range. And I had some attitude. Let me tell you, it wasn't about love, and it wasn't about forgiveness, it wasn't about mercy, it wasn't about any of that kind of stuff. But I'm getting up on Friday morning to prepare the message to bring to you on Sunday morning. I'm, that's what I've got to do. And, and I've got to bring to you the gospel, you know, out of the word. I've got to bring to you God's word. But I got all this stuff in me, you know, and I, I, I got, you know, somebody even said something about, you know, some of the people who've been shot had already forgiven him. And I said, well, you know what? He didn't shoot me, so I, maybe I don't have to forgive him. I even said that jokingly. But, you know, I, I, I had some stuff in me that I had to dump. I had to get out of my head and out, because I had a message to prepare. And I had, a, I had a message to prepare, and it needed to be about God and not be about my attitude. But that's not just true for me on a Sunday morning when I'm preaching to you. That's true for every Christian that sits here and every Christian in this country is we need to dump some attitudes. We need to get rid of some stuff that we're thinking and some stuff that we've dreamed up, some attitudes that we have. If we're going to speak the truth, which is God, we've got to dump some stuff. You know, the thing that, thing that started coming to me after I started getting rid of some of all this stuff in me that was me and some of my attitudes and my, uh, I could say almost some hatred toward a man that would do something like this, when I started dumping that and getting rid of all that, you know, one of the things that immediately came to me was somebody failed this young man, this 24-year-old young man who could do something like that. Somebody failed him. And I know we could say his parents failed him. Or, but, uh, you know, well, maybe they did. You know, I don't know how they raised him. I, I, I haven't looked into all those kinds of details and things because that doesn't even matter right now. But I, I can say, yeah, probably they failed him. Hey, I'm a dad. I failed my kids some too. I don't know if he ever went to church. If he did, somebody in church probably failed him. I know he went to school. In his school somewhere, there were some Christians who never connected with him in the right way. or do, maybe So they probably failed. But, I mean, we can carry this on out and say every Christian in this country that gets so full of themselves that they don't have time to live out being the purpose church that God wants us to be, they also failed James Holmes and every other James Holmes that is growing up out here today because we're not, we don't keep the perspective of what it is we're really supposed to do. 
We're supposed to be the church. We say, oh, 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 but, but you know, th- that was not our responsibility. We, we sound like Cain, don't we? Remember Cain? When God came to ask him about his brother, he says, uh, the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Cain replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain is saying, I don't have any responsibility to keep up with him. I'm not his babysitter. Now, if Cain didn't have any responsibility to Abel, God would not have wasted his breath asking him where Abel was. God already knew where Abel was. He already knew he was dead. He already saw his blood seeping into the ground. So God would not have wasted his breath. What God was doing is he was pointing out the fact that, Cain, you have responsibility. We have responsibility to others. And the, the, the deceiver, the dark night, the real dark night, wants you to believe that you can just go do your thing. You don't have to worry about anybody else. You came to church today. You've done more than most Christians will do today. So you, you're, you're absolved of responsibility. No, you have responsibility to those who are around you because you're a child of God. You have responsibility to get rid of the junk that is in your heart and in your mind and your attitudes toward this world. And you have a responsibility to speak the word of God that is the truth that they need to hear. We have that responsibility. Scriptures over and over and over. Matthew 22, verse 39. Galatians 6, 2. Philippians 2, 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. 2 Thessalonians 3, 13. Don't have time to preach those to you. There they are, though. And there are many more through the Scriptures that point out the responsibility that we have toward one another. This came up in our Wednesday night adult small group. And I just had to throw this in. We were talking about worship, attending worship together on a weekly basis. And you know what? We have a responsibility, not just to God. You're not just here because you have a responsibility to God. You're here because you have a responsibility to everybody else in this room. You see, one of the reasons you need to be here today is because you need the encouragement. Somebody say amen. You need the encouragement. You need a handshake. You need a smile. You need somebody to look at you that looks like they love you because you hadn't felt love all week long. You need somebody to pat you on the back when you do right and say, hey, that was a good job. I appreciate you for hanging in there. I'm still praying for you. And you need people to hold you accountable too. You need somebody to say, hey, I missed you. Glad you're back. You need somebody to hold you accountable and say, why aren't you? And and get involved and do this and do that. But you know what? There's a flip side to that. You may may say, well, look, I I, I have had a pretty good week, so I didn't really need to come today and have anybody encourage me. I'm going to talk to you in this next point, okay? But right now, let me deal with something else. Somebody said, "Uh uh-oh. Because you may say, well, I didn't really need to come to church today because I didn't need anything. Then you have a response. That's the other reason we come to church is because sometimes you're the person that somebody else needs. You're the one that that, that needs to shake someone else's hand, that needs to smile at someone, that needs to show a little love to somebody that's not had any love all week long, that needs to hold someone accountable. You're the one that needs to say, I've missed you, and we need you here, and you need to be here because you need You're the person that needs to be saying, I've been praying for you, and I'm going to be praying for you this week. We need each other, and that's why God has called us here. That's why he's called us to be together, not just to praise and worship him, but to be here for one another. We have the responsibility. And, but the deceiver wants you to believe, hey, you've heard it, hadn't you? You don't have to go to church to get to heaven. No, you don't. You don't have to go to church to go to heaven because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all your sins. That makes you right with God and makes you ready for heaven. But you cannot live a Christian life without going to church because you have responsibility to somebody else. And let me just say this about small groups. 
planned on saying that before I knew they were going to do this video. But you have a responsibility for small group. You need to be in a small group. Why? Because you need all those things we talked about and a whole lot more. And you may say, well, I, I, I don't really need that. Well, yeah, you do. And you need to be the person that is in that small group because, and not just the leader needs to be encouraging, but you need to be there so you can encourage someone else. But some of you, you need, because, because you kind of got it together, you need to be leading a small group because you need to be one that is challenging others and encouraging others. You, you need to be laying, and let me, give you, let me give you a new scripture. Because some of you think that this small group thing is just a, you know, it's just a, you know, it's just a fad. It just kind of showed up, you know, a few years ago, and, and uh, you know, it's going to be here for a while. It's going to be gone. Well, we call it something different than we used to call it. When I was a kid, it was, small, it was Sunday school, and we did it at the church, another thing. Let me give you another scripture, Titus chapter 2. Read it this afternoon. I dare you. Read it this afternoon, and you tell me how Titus chapter 2 happens without small groups. You think small groups is not something that God wants to, in his church? Then you read Titus chapter 2, and you tell me how that really happens, and how it works its way out without small groups. And when I was a kid, it worked. But you know, we did it with Sunday school, and I'm talking, I'm talking about Titus chapter 2. It happened, but it happened in Sunday school, children's church, vacation Bible schools, or sometimes my mom invited the kids into the house, or the kids in the neighborhood into the house, and we had a snack, and she read us a Bible story. What? Titus chapter 2, but Titus chapter 2 does not happen today without small groups. And you have a responsibility, not just to get everything done. You have a responsibility to be there for everybody else in your life, in your community, and in your church. We have responsibility. Man, it's quiet. Y'all heard me say it, hadn't you? The old preacher said, when they get quiet, you hit them where they live. It's time to nail them to the wall. Say, don't get quiet on me. Come on now. We have responsibility. But listen to the arrogance. Let me, let me show you something else that the devil, the deceiver does to us. We have, uh, look at the arrogance in Cain's reply to God. Cain, where's your, where's your brother? Cain said, am I my brother? He asked God a question. Now, it's not a question like, uh, hey, I got a question for you, God. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Who's he talking to? He's talking to God. He's talking to God. And, it, and it's like, he's like saying, God, I already got this thing figured out. I'm not my brother's keeper. You don't need, God, you don't need to tell me anything about relationships. So come on now, think about who we're talking about here, Cain. He said, Cain, God, you don't need to tell me anything about, I got relationships figured out because if somebody does me wrong, I just kill them. That's what he did with Abel. He didn't like Abel, so he thought, I mean, Cain didn't have relationships figured out, but that's what he was telling God. He said, God, I already got this thing figured out. I don't need any direction from you. Can I tell you, there's one group of people that 2911 cannot help, that God will not give us the ability to help. You know who that is? The people who know everything. That was, I heard one snicker. Would you help me? Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you don't know everything? Boy, that was an eye-opening experience for some of you. You had not heard that since your wife told you that yesterday, have you? You don't know everything. And so listen, it's no wonder then when tragedies like this happen, in our, in our society, in our country, that we're like, I don't understand how this, you know why you don't understand? Because you don't know everything. That's why. That's why we don't understand. And that's why, what do we need to do? We need to go back to truth. We don't need to go into our hearts. We don't need to go into our minds. We don't need to go into our experiences. We need to go back to truth for understanding of how these things happen. But Cain didn't just know about relationships, which, you know, y'all know I'm being facetious, right? He didn't know about relationships. He thought he had it all figured out about worship, too. Remember? Because this is really why he, killed, why he killed Abel. Go back a couple of verses, 
and you'll see an inter- another interchange between God and Cain. God says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, and God's talking about his worship, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will your worship, will your service to me not be accepted? Your sacrifice, your offering? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over this, Cain. He thought he had worse. The, the, the thing that he had messed up was his worship. And you know what? There's a, the churches are full of people today who believe they have, all, they have the worship figured out. They've got it all figured out. I already know everything I need to know. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that our theology will constantly be challenged by God. I'm not, not, just the, not just the society out there, not just the people out, not just the media. I'm talking about God will constantly challenge our theology. You know why? Because we're all liars. He's the only one that has truth in him. And so he has to constantly pull these lies and this stuff out of us because we've heard it all of our lives. And some of you have already got it figured out. You know exactly what every church is supposed to look like in the whole world. You don't understand why they don't worship just like you. Look like you, act like you, talk like you, preach like you, sing like you, teach like you, whatever. You have it figured out. Can I tell you something? I'm not just talking about you right here. I'm talking about me. Every single week, my theology is challenged by God. When I get into the Word and I start digging, I'll run across something, and God starts pulling something out of me. He said, yeah, here's the place where you thought you had me figured out. Roop, you're wrong, and he pulls it out, and he puts something else in there. Every single week, God challenges my authority. And I know the way you are. You look up here at the pastor, you say, well, pastor, he's already got it all figured out. No, I'm telling you, every single week, my theology is challenged by God. And you don't have it figured out today, and you will never have it figured out. And what we need to do is we need to get some perspective back to truth. So let's talk about marriage and chicken and Oreos and Muppets. Because this past week, I've heard a lot of stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. I know, I I was preaching one time and had a guy sitting on the front pew, and he said, hmm, stay there a while, preacher. I know y'all say, no, get off that. Don't stay there. Let me tell you, I've heard a lot of stupid this week. <laughs> and I've heard, you know, what we do is we, we in, 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 in our passion to do what is right, we're going to fix everybody. We're going to tell you how stupid you are, and we're going to make jokes about you, and we're going to make little cartoons, and we're going to do all these kinds of things out there. And so you know what the society that feels like they're under attack does? They respond in like manner. However, this week I heard uh, a man that was being interviewed in, um, on one of the local channels here in Alabama, in, in Birmingham. He was, a, uh, he was a leader in the homosexual community. I forget the, the society or whatever he was the president of. He was a leader in the homosexual community here in Birmingham. <laughs> and he was talking about how Chick-fil-A this, Chick-fil-A that, and all that, and all that. And, and listen, what people are saying about Chick-fil-A are lies. You know why? Because of the deceiver. Because the deceiver's twisting it, making it. But then he's also twisting you and making you respond to things and say things that, no, no, we, we got to get this thing, but let's, let's get some perspective here. Because when, this, when this, this homosexual leader, when he finished, the last thing they, they showed that he said was, because Christianity is about love. I need the button. <clears throat> Wrong. Now, Jesus did say that it's a sign. That when, that when we love one another, everybody will know, oh, they're Christians because they love each other. I mean, those, those weird people, you know, those weird people back there, over there, whatever, you look at them and say, oh, they're weird, and you love them anyway. People say, man, they're Christians. It is a sign 
But that's not what Christianity is all about. Because here's, here's the, and this is what the, the Zebra's done this. He skewed our perspective so that we think that Christians are just supposed to love everybody no matter what they're doing and just, just kind of leave everybody alone, just love them. That's the same thing as saying being a dad is loving your child and never telling them that they're wrong. And that ain't it. Being a Christian is not about love. That's part of being a Christian. Being a Christian is being a Christ follower. That's what the word actually means. It means to follow Christ. And so we need to get some perspective for ourselves so that we can help this world. And we can't do it as long as we're yelling out of our passions and our ideologies and our pasts and our experiences. We need to get some perspective on what God's word is so that when we speak it, it makes sense. And people say, oh, okay, I got it now. I understand. I still don't like it, they'll probably say, but I understand. So let me take you to some. Let me take you to some. Here's what Jesus said. This is where I threw my, thank you, Mike. Jesus replied, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? Haven't you read that? It's from the beginning. This is a definition of marriage. You may not like it. The world may not like it, but that's what this is. And it is given by Jesus Christ. It's there in black and white or red and white because, you know, it's his words. You know, in the red, red letter, it is it's his words. And so, you know what? If you're, if you're a Jew today, guess what? These same words are in the Old Testament. If you're a New Testament Christian, the New Testament is full of this. Several references through it. But I know there are some out there that are New Testament Christians, yet they say, I just don't know about that I agree with everything Paul wrote. I think he just made some of that up. Okay, well, disregard that if you want to. Because here it is. Jesus Christ gives a definition for marriage, and it is one man and one woman united together as one flesh for eternity. But here's, a, here's something I know the deceiver does to you. Is in, because some of you have homosexual friends or family members. And you're like, you hate homosexuals. No, no, no. That's the, that's the deceiver. Twisting the argument. That's not what it said. You know, what's interesting to me is because the way we respond, we've messed ourselves up. And so now the world doesn't hear what we're saying anymore. They, they don't hear what we say we're for. They hear what we say we're against. But listen, they're not the one responsible for that. We're the ones responsible because if people aren't getting your message, you're the one with a communication problem. So we need to change what we're saying. And listen, I don't have a lot of openly homosexual friends, okay? So I don't have, as far as I know, I don't have any openly homosexual family members. So you may say, well, so pastor, you just hate homosexuals. That's why you're, no, no, no. Let me tell you this. I have some friends. I have some friends who have cheated on their spouse, okay? And this definition is not against homosexuals. This definition is about marriage. This is what I am for, not what I'm against. It's what I am for. But if you want to talk about what, what, how it lines up with that, you can say, well, look right here. Uh, this is what it's supposed to be. So my friends that have, that have been unfaithful to their spouse, do I hate them because of what this scripture says? And I believe, No, I don't hate them. I still love them. I, I, I pray for them. I ask God, please turn their life around. And most of them have somewhat turned their life around. I pray that they've made everything right. Some of the people I grew up with, I, I pray they made everything right. This doesn't mean that I hate them. This is the definition of marriage given by the creator of the universe. This is all this means. So you know what? End of story. It doesn't mean I hate anybody, and it doesn't mean any more than this. I don't need to elaborate. I don't need to tell people this is how I feel. <clears throat> Let me give you this. 
You young people are headed back to school this year. Those of you who are headed to college this fall. Let me give you this. When you get drawn into the discussion, whether it's in the hallway or a professor in your class finds out, the professor finds out that you are a Bible-thumping Christian and asks you, how do you feel about homosexual marriage? Don't tell them. They don't need to hear what you feel. What you need to say is, I'm a Christ follower. I just believe whatever Jesus said. And if you want to give them the scripture, here's his definition of marriage. It's not mine. And so you know what? Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at Dan Cathy. Don't get mad at Chick-fil-A. Don't get mad at the right or the left or the anybody else. Don't get mad at this church. Your argument is not with me. It's not with the church. Your argument is with Jesus Christ. What we need to do, the devil has skewed this whole thing. The, the dark night has skewed it. What we need to do is we need to put the argument back on the grounds it should be on and let people understand your argument is not with the church. If you want to do things against God's will, your argument is with God Almighty. And we love you. We're praying for you. And we want to see the very best that you have, very best happen in your life. But your argument is no longer with me. Your argument is with God Almighty. And let it lay right there. Because that's all that matters. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I, I, I don't care what you feel. I don't care how someone offended you. I don't care what, it doesn't matter. This world doesn't care. All that matters is every man is a liar. Everything we believe can be, can be wrong, but God and God alone is truth. And we need to get back to that one perspective is that is all it is. It's a, another place of our arrogance is from this, from, from this, this, this horrible, horrible tragedy. You know what everybody started asking the next day, don't you? Where was God? How arrogant can you be? Where was God? Where was God this night? Let me tell you where God was. He was there. I, I thought I'd get a few more amens. Do you believe when James Holmes threw that gas grenade and opened fire on the... Do you believe anybody in that theater started praying? I believe people I haven't prayed in months started praying. I believe some people who ain't never prayed before found a prayer life. Where was God when they started praying? He was there. You call out to him, he'll be there. It's like, oh, I, I know you got, some of y'all got this attitude that because they've, they had sin in their life, God didn't show up as soon as they started praying. That ain't the way he did it with me. We call on him, he, he is easy to be found. He wants to be found. He, it is His will that none perish, but that all come to repentance. As soon as a sinner cries out to God, just like a, a believer cries out to God, He is there at that moment. He is there. I, I, don't, I, I had another quote I'm going to have to skip. Time's getting away from me. I had a quote I was going to skip about the Holocaust. But, you know, basically this. You know, where, where was God during the Holocaust? You know? You know where God was during the Holocaust? He was there. Every time a Jew was cremated, He was there. Every time a Jew was gassed, he was there. Where was God in the Virginia Tech massacres? Guess what? He was there. But the question really isn't, where was God? You know what the question should be? Where were we? Two days after 9-11, Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lotz, was on CBS early morning show. And she was asked, the lady interviewing her said, 
said, everybody's saying, if God is so good, why did he let this happen? And to you, you say, and to that you say, and here's her reply. I say, God is also angry when he sees something like this. I would say also for several years now, Americans, in a sense, have shaken their fists at God and said, God, we, do, we want you out of our schools, our government, our business. We want you out of our marketplace. And God, who is a gentleman, has just quietly backed out of our national and political life, our public life, removing his hand of blessing and protection. We need to return to God, first of all, and say, God, we're sorry we've treated you this way, and we invite you now to come into our national life. We put our trust in you. Amen. And this country has said, God, get out. And so God has backed away. But what I believe is every time there's a tragedy happening, he is standing right there on the edge. He is just waiting for somebody to say, God, I need you. This country, as a country, has said, no, God, we don't need you. And that's why God is backing away. That's why the blessings are going. That's why his hand is going away. But every individual that cries out to God, he is there. Would somebody help me and say amen? He is there. Why? Go ahead. He is there. Why? Because he said he would be. Matthew 28, I am with you always, even to the very end of this age. You can count on me. But the enemy wants us to ask, where was God? That's not the right question. God was there. The question is, where were we? How dare we? You see, because our perspective is this. We want to make all the decisions and then blame God. Come on. We want to take control of this country and do it our way and then say, where were you, God, when we needed you? We want to decide where, when, what, how long, and with whom we did it. We want to ignore God's wisdom. We want to neglect his word, and then tragedy happens, and we want to ask, where in the world are you, God? How arrogant can we be? How dare we ask God where he was? We need to be asked, where was I? Where was my mind? Where were my thoughts this past week? What was, what was my focus all about this past week? Whose wife was I looking at instead of my... Come on, somebody, say amen, or I'll have to stay here a while. Where were my thoughts? Where were my attitudes? Where were my ideals? And what was I doing? You see, here's the thing, is our minds are not within a thousand miles of where God wants our minds to be. Our, our lives, our actions are not within a thousand miles of where God dream for our life is. Our, 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 our feelings, our dreams, our hopes, and all those things are not within a thousand miles of all that God would dream for us. And then we have the audacity, we have the gall to ask God, where were you when we needed you? You know, see, here's the thing we need to understand. I, mean, let me, I, I, I think I draw this to a close right here with this. Is again, you need some perspective. And most of us we pray out to a God. We cry out to a God for salvation, deliverance, rescuing. When he offers us a keeping grace, a protective grace, a holding grace, a wisdom. He, he offers us this before the fact. So why are our minds a thousand miles away? Until the tragedy, and then we say, oh God, I need you right now. The solution isn't to cry out once the tragedy has happened. The solution is we need to get our minds back on God in this country. I'm not preaching to a whole country. I'm preaching to the few sitting right here. Let it begin right here. Let it begin with you. 
And let it not end in about 10 minutes when Jeff tells you you're dismissed. Let it begin here, but let it burst out those doors. Let it become part of your Facebook life. Let it become part of your coffee break discussion. Let it become, when somebody tells you a problem they've got, let it become the answer. Your new perspective that, oh, that's horrible. I know I had somebody down the street do the same thing. No, no, no. Let, let this new perspective is, oh, that's horrible. I'm going to be praying for you. Let it become. Let it begin here. Let it begin in us. But let it not end in a few moments. As a matter of fact, let it never end. Oh, somebody say amen. I, w- I want to give you something encouraging. I really believe in, in closing. Would you stand and come to the front? Let's close this. We, we, need, we, need, we need a new perspective. We need to refocus our perspective. Come on. This morning is really not about, about your needs whatsoever. It's really about focusing on God. But listen, prayer team's right here. If you've got a need, don't hesitate a second. Get down here with one of these people and say, help me pray. Some of you have got tragedy in your life right now. In your home, in your marriage, your kids or something, you've got a tragedy. It's falling apart. It ain't working. Something ain't right. Some of it, maybe most of it, is because your mind had been on him. Your focus has been on other things. Or maybe it's somebody in your family that they've chosen to do things their way. And now a mess has occurred. And so you got tragedy. What are you going to do about it? How in the world? How am I going to get through? And, 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 you know, you think, on the, it's not on the scale of, of the shooting. You know, there, weren't, there, aren't, there aren't lives out in eternity today because of it probably. But in your own little personal life, man, it's tough. You said, how, how, how do I fix this? Let me take you to Isaiah. Remember what Isaiah says? He says, I'll keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Those whose minds are stayed fixed, centered, focused on me. You see, the, the, the solution is this country stopped looking to God. The solution is start looking to God again. That, that's the, that's the, solu- the big solution for the big problem. The small solution for your small area of your world is focus on him again. Where has your mind been this week? Where has your focus been? You've been all about building a life instead of Building a righteous life, building a godly life, building a relationship with him. Where, where has it been? Bow with me, if you'll. Jeff's going to lead us in a final song. Don't start singing.